It's show 102 of the RIM Pro Report. This week, Chad Sorrell of Archive Logistics in Piney Flats, Tennessee. And we'll catch you up on the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I'm grateful for their ongoing support of the show. O'Neill has this really cool option now they've got called Six Appeal. Unlimited users, unlimited web users, uh, unlimited classroom training, technical support, unlimited networking, and no upfront software costs. That sounds highly appealing to me. If it does you, you can check them out yourself at O'Neillsoft.com. Let's get this show started, shall we? Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim support services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. Mm-hmm. This show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Hey, 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 we are back. August is over, at least half over, and summer is starting to wind down here in the northern hemisphere. It looks like winter's probably doing the same in the southern hemisphere. Kids are getting ready to head back to school. Vacations are winding down. And despite the turning of the seasons, we're constantly here giving you shows on the old Rim Pro Report. Hey, on today's show, we've got the chance to talk to Chad Sorrell. Chad is the founder and president of Archive Logistics. And uh, Chad is just one of the young stars to me in the Rim Services industry. He's been in the business about nine years, and he's established to me what seems like a pretty powerful reputation for himself within the industry. And even in his local community, uh, I was reading a little earlier today uh, that he's won a Young Entrepreneur Award for his community uh, doing some really cool things. And and I've had the privilege of watching Chad for nine years and really am blown away by his success. And I'm grateful that he's finally allowed me to have this conversation with him. So we'll chat with him soon. But before we do, let's get you caught up on the latest industry news. Seems a little quiet in the industry these days. But uh, here's some other news that I thought was interesting. The FBI has made it official. They've switched to becoming an all-digital agency. All cases are now digital in the FBI. The system name is called Sentinel, which features a web browser-style interface that allows agents to enter and review information about cases or suspects. Uh, While the system has been in use for a few months in terms of startup, uh, officially last month the agency made the full switch to the system, and already the software sees almost 20,000 users per day. So that's kind of interesting to observe and be aware of. I also aware of a whole bunch of events coming up, and I thought it would be a good time to just catch you up on a lot of the industry events that seem to be happening once we get back into the fall. Uh, first one on the plate, uh, as we hit the end of August, uh, Ray Berry has another shred school coming up August 22nd to 24th. And then moving into September, PRISM International will hold their data protection workshop September 6th and 7th in Chicago. Looks like a great lineup, including Fred Moore, Chris Oswald of Fujifilm, Todd Stevenson of Kirkpatrick Price, and a whole bunch more. So if uh, that's something that you can fit into your calendar, it looks like a great 
program. ASIS International Conference is being held in Philadelphia September 10th through 13th. So if you're in the security side of things, that might be an interesting one, and you can get to that conference. Gail Bisbee's Document Imaging School is September 26th to 28th in Greenville, North Carolina. And then uh, first uh, couple of days of October, October 1st to 3rd in St. Petersburg, Florida, the Data Protection Association is holding their conference. Uh, fast forward a few weeks and November 5 to 7th in Brussels, the European Information Management Conference co-sponsored by PRISM, Nade, and Arma. And uh, yeah, so lots of events coming up on the calendar. I hope that uh, if you are, are capable and able to make one of those and any of those that are beneficial to you that you'll take advantage of them. Well, that's all for now. I didn't see any other news that I came across my desk by the time I was ready to to record this morning. So uh, if you have news from your neck of the woods, let me know. If you're buying some of them, if you've won an award, if you've done something cool, I'd love to hear from you so I can add it to our show notes. If you're interested, uh, send me any kind of details. If you've got something cool to say, then I'd love to hear from you so that we could have you on the show as well. I, I, I love interesting stories, and uh, today is no different. I, I can't wait to talk to Chad Sorrell about what he's done, his business, his history, his story. And so if you just hang on a second, I'm going to get him on the line. <laughs> Sorrell is the president and founder of Archive Logistics based in Piney Flats, Tennessee. Chad is also a PRISM International board member. Chad, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here, Tom. Hey, welcome to the RIM Pro Report. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, take me back in your story to 2003, and you're graduating from East Tennessee State University. Tell me a little bit about what you had just completed, and what were you thinking as you graduated uh, back in 2003? Okay, wow. Um, going back a little ways, um, you know, coming out of college, um, I did not have much of a plan. Really? Uh, Tom is really the honest answer to that. I, um, I had thought probably for all of my primary school years that I was going to be a veterinarian. Really? And I, Yeah, I had a, an aunt and uncle uh, that are both vets, and I went and spent some time with them for a couple of different summers. And so I thought I was going to go that route until I got to college, and then I don't know what specific thing changed, but I was just, I wasn't going to do that. And um, and then I didn't know what I was going to do for probably three years, and I finally declared a marketing major, kind of just out of necessity, I had to do something. Right. And, um, and so w went ahead and graduated with that degree, but didn't have any kind of specific dream job, career path, uh, anything like that. And um, I probably had as much focus or interest in Young Life, which was a, um, a, a ministry that I volunteered with for four years. Uh, really, as I did my academics, so came out with very little direction. Really, and so you graduate, and so did you get a job? What did you do? Well, I had a few different jobs uh, in college, but came out did not have a job at the time, uh, and doing some interviews, nothing that was extremely lucrative or attractive. To be honest with you, I'm just looking to kind of land that first job. Uh, reality had sunk in. I wasn't going to land some six-figure dream job. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who misled me on that one. <laughs> but uh, th that was sinking in really quick there, end of May, uh, going into June. But, you know, it's just, just nothing really, just trying to find something. And it wasn't going well, to be honest with you, at that point. <laughs> hmm. 
So I look into your, like I looked on your LinkedIn profile and you graduate in 2003 and you start a record center business in November, October of 2003. So what happened between spinning around in uncertainty and right. starting a record center? Tell, tell me about the birth of this whole thing. Yeah, okay. So yeah, a lot happened obviously in a short amount of time because I was kind of going from, from nothing happening to a lot. And um, well, so what happened there had a lot to do with my grandfather. Now, now, previous to me graduating, he had brought up on a number of occasions this idea of a record storage company, which I had no clue what that was. So whenever he brought it up, I tried to change the conversation because I, I, I thought this sounded kind of ridiculous. I didn't understand it. Uh, but little did I know what kind of what he was getting at, and he got very aggressive about this idea as I'd gotten out of school and I wasn't obviously landing a job. Right. He, he's bringing this up more this idea of a record storage company and what a great business, you know, idea this would be. And, uh, and so finally, you know, I'm not landing a job, so I'm like, all right, fine, let's just go look at one of these so-called record centers, fine, you know, because obviously I can't find a job. Right. And, and it's, it's probably about through June at this point. And uh, so that's kind of what happened. I, I finally relented um, on, on this idea, and I thought, let's, let's see what this is all about because he's been pushing it for a while. So what did you do at that point with your grandfather? What, what happened to to clear the cobwebs in your head. <laughs> okay, so well, what we did um, is we fe- well, just, I got out the phone book, and, and I was doing a little bit of work with, with some family business, I guess I should say, during that time. I was going to help marketing. He's got a self-storage and a warehouse business. That's how he came across the idea for record storage. Got he was it. at a self-storage conference. Right. He heard about this, and so he's in the, he's in the leasing square footage uh, type business. And so when he hears of this idea of you could lease cubic footage, you know, it's all going, connecting the dots here. Right, eyes light and, up. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and so what I did, I so, said, okay, well, I'll find one. And I got in the phone book, and I'm looking for a facility. We went and visited a company, I think it was called Security Archives in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And when I got down there and walked in, as, as anyone who's toured a record the first time, you kind of see the light. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw the boxes, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, there's really a need for this. And um, so at that point, I, I realized it was it was legitimate, and that was like I said, I think maybe late June, uh, about a month and a half after being out of school, and uh, so I kind of got to work pretty quick on due diligence. That became my project, and um, and so we uh, we hired a consultant. Uh, I started researching which market we should should be in. Should I go back up to where I graduated school? Because at this point, I'd moved back home. Um, and, and so that's what I did. I started researching market, decided to move back to where I went to college, uh, got done meeting with the consultant. They helped out quite a bit. Uh, we found somebody in the record storage business in this market, kind of a really small player, reached agreeable terms, bought his business. And so the next thing I know, by the time October rolled around, I was in the records management business. So how, how big of an operation did you buy in the, the early on? Oh, probably... Like ten thousand boxes. Okay, so it it was somebody <laughs> who just had like a mover who had boxes on shelves. They weren't really managing them in an, in an official way like we would consider to be managed. Well, b- believe it or not, they did have a very early version of, of uh, one of the record center softwares. Wow! And um, so there was a little bit of management going on, but but it wasn't his primary business, as you guessed. It was um, it, he was a, like an office furniture, office supply business. Who okay? A, a customer of his had kind of gotten him into storing some records on the side. Right. You and your grandfather have some kind of deal, then. Obviously, in this case, your grandfather says you do the work, and he he supplied some of the capital. Or how did that all kind of? 
you don't think I had any money to start the business back then? No. I'm just I'm just making some <laughs> guesstimates here. Yeah, no, that's that's a really safe uh, bet. Uh, so there's a few thoughts that went to my mind at that point in time, and I'm like, wow, this could really be a bad idea. Um, but yeah, the situation was my grandfather had presented a pretty neat opportunity that was kind of hard to refuse. Um, he basically said, look, I, I want to see if this idea will work. Uh, he had a number of kind of business you know, ventures he was already involved in, so he didn't really want to do anything with it. And, you know, my dad already you know, had his business that he was involved in. I'm kind of a fourth-generation entrepreneur, I guess. And mm. so I was, I was the guinea pig that was really available wow. uh, at this point in time. And so he said, if, if you will give this a shot, I just want to see if it will work. I'll kind of help you from a financial standpoint because no one's going to really loan me enough money to probably even buy a car at that point in time. And, uh, and if it works, then I would buy out his interest uh, as we became profitable and that time arrived. And if it didn't, then, you know, I could throw that on there into my resume, you know, business failure and start looking for a job again. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a great way to start. Tell me about the first few years. What were some of the big struggles you faced right off the bat? Wow. There, there, there were a few. Um, I look back I, in, in a sense, it feels like it was smooth, but, but I tell you, one of the biggest ones was at 23 years old, it was probably a really severe experience deficiency. Uh, college definitely doesn't prepare you to, um, to manage or, or run a business. Yeah. Um, I, I look back, I read a book, I don't know, not, not too long ago called E-Myth. That's yeah. been around a long time, a lot of people are familiar with. I probably would have learned more about running a business if I had just read that one book right. than, than what I took away from college, perhaps. There wasn't a lot of great stuff taught at college, but it's just, you know, a marketing degree is so different than running a small business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I was missing a lot of experience. That was a huge challenge. I was in like the proverbial deep end of the pool in a heartbeat. There was no waiting in. Yeah. And, um, of course, the other big challenge was, was rebranding a business at that point, you know, because we had bought this little small book of business. We changed the name, doing, doing the marketing thing, trying to build a website, and then also, you know, trying to to get these new clients that we just bought, we're, you know, just trying to gain their trust, right. develop a relationship there. That's a little challenging, as you can imagine. I'm, I'm going out with this guy that we just bought the business from, and here I am, 23, and, and talking to these clients. Saying, yeah, we just bought the business. And I, I'm not sure how scared some of them were, <laughs> but I imagine some of them had their doubts. I, I would say that was kind of the third one. You know, rebranding was a challenge, but, but with what I mentioned there at the end, age was yeah. the other one. Um, that was definitely a sales hurdle. A moment I remember... Really vividly, I remember at one point was probably the first hospital that we started working with. I remember when it came time for contract negotiations, and they told me that I was going to have to uh, deal with the CEO, uh, CFO on some issues, the contract. I was so relieved when I found out that I was scheduled as a phone call, and I wasn't going to have to be face-to-face uh, with him. Oh, I, wow. did, I did not know how that was going to go, you know, as young as I was, having to sit across the table with someone like that and work on a contract. Yeah. So those are some of the hurdles. So those hurdles present themselves, but uh, you know, obviously you've you've done some significant stuff. When did you feel, or how far along, or what event might have been the trigger that, in your gut, in your head, in your mind, you went, "Oh my goodness, I I think we're going to make this. This this is actually going to work, and this is a pretty cool thing." That, that's a tough question, hmm. um, and and I don't think that there's, I don't think there was one specific event where I ever felt like that. Uh, where I finally felt like you know we arrived or we're safe, uh, so to speak. But there were now, you know, as I think about it, there were a couple of really big points um, that definitely were points of relief, points of kind of excitement. 
one of those was actually within our first year. That was another big undertaking. When we bought the business, the existing facility that some of those records were stored in those ten thousand boxes, it was full. Hmm. Um, and in fact, there were some records stored in another location as well. And so we had already known at that point um, kind of where we wanted to locate and some of the due diligence I'd done originally. And so part of that first year was spent acquiring property, contractor, and building a, a facility from the ground up. And um, so I remember for months during that process, I mean, we were driving between two locations trying to fulfill work orders, and it was, it's all going to be better when we get in the new building. It's all going to be better when we get in the new building. And that was just kind of what the three of us, because there were three of us at that point, you know, months into it, we just kept telling ourselves. And so probably around September, October, I can't remember the exact time, of 2004, we were in the new building, and it felt awesome. Um, really? To have everything yeah. consolidated and to be operating out of, out of our own facility yeah. that we owned and that everything was consolidated into, uh, we definitely felt tremendously more efficient at that point. And then, you know, if there was one other point, I would say it had been 2006. That was our our, our third year, uh, was our was our first profitable year. You know, so our first two years, we almost made money the second year, but we were just shy. And our, and our third year was our profitable year, and that was the year that I did buy my grandfather's interest in the company, so into 2006. Wow. So that, that was a big kind of milestone because that was kind of the plan originally. So uh, it was only that, three years in that you were able to purchase your grandfather's interest out. It, yeah, that's right. Wow. Of course, you got to remember, too, the company wasn't worth much at that time. We just turned a profit. Right. It wasn't very costly to buy my other business. But but just, just uh, one of the things I'm aware of is that your building is out in the middle of nowhere. You, you know, <laughs> when we say Piney Flats, Tennessee, Piney Flats is not a city of 20,000 people. It's not no, even a city of 10, is it? So how big is Piney Flats, just so I'm clear? No, it, it's, it's not. I can imagine some people on Google right now <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably taking a look at our facility and looking at the pasture fields around it. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? How, how big? <laughs> I just wondered how big Piney Flats was. Oh, Piney Flats. I would say Piney Flats is less than 5,000 people. It, it's not It's not even a, a town. I'm not sure what they call it, a district or something. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Not many people in, in Piney Flats, but we. But uh, you serve a much broader audience, obviously. It, yeah, we we do. Um, I, I'd given, uh, I'd done a session at the last Prism conference about the small market, and someone asked the question, "What is a small market?" I think Prism needs to come up with an official definition of, of what a small market is. I I don't know that there's one out there, but I, I've kind of decided that a small market is is you know in the principal geographic area that you serve. If there's not a single city that has at least a hundred thousand people in it then that's definitely a pretty small market. And so you're right. We serve multiple cities that make up our market. But uh, most of those cities are all under 100,000. Oh, they're all more like 50 or less. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know you're in a small market if you have cows in your backyard. Yes, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> we're in a small market. I don't think anyone would contest that fact. No, that's well, that's but that's cool. But you've had some significant success. So, two thousand and six, you buy the company back from your your grandfather. Tell me about where you you obviously started by buying boxes on shelves. But uh, best I can tell, you have the full range of services, including data protection, scanning and imaging, shredding services. You offer the whole array of services. When did those get added to the mix? Kind of roundabout times. Uh, well, the the data protection started early. We actually landed a, a pretty large data protection account in the first year. Wow. And so we were building a vault in, in our building uh, during that first year. So that was just a huge blessing and, and 
on demand, because we still don't really do zero level scanning, but we started doing scan on demand and small scanning projects in probably mid to late 2008. Hmm. What have been some of the hard decisions you've had to make thus far in the business? Do, do you feel like there's been any significant ones that have caused, uh, you know, crawling, getting in the fetal position? Uh, anything that's just caused you inordinate amounts of anxiety along the way? Yeah, fetal position. I don't think I've gotten to the fetal position yet. I hope that day doesn't come. Right. Um, I would say one of the toughest things in, in this to me is, is having had to fire people. That's not something I've ever enjoyed, and it's something if I could go back, I'd, I'd love to do a few of those differently. Um, and so I think that's one of the most challenging things is when mm. you've got a team member that's not a good fit and you know that you're probably even responsible for, for having brought that person on and they're not being a good fit potentially. Uh, so, so that's tough, and, and that's been one of the tougher things I've done um, yeah. looking back over the years. And then, well, and, and I'll tell you, a second one actually was, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but with my grandfather giving me the opportunity to get started in this business, I kind of had two separate entities. I had, had the, the company, the records management company, but there was also a real estate company that, that owned the property here. And my siblings actually were partners in that. And that was kind of something my grandfather wanted to do for them. It's kind of part of this overall deal. Hmm. And, and also I, I decided maybe three years ago, something like that, that, that I wanted to buy my siblings out of the real estate LLC. And that was a tough process as, oh, as well. Oh, I bet. So, yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of reasons that some people don't recommend working with family or taking on even business partners. And thankfully, ours went pretty smooth. But, uh, you know, I really wanted to treat them fairly through that process. It, it, it takes a lot of careful communication and, and being really intentional. And so that was a learning process to go through something like that. And uh, but, but thankfully, it, it went well, and uh, we've got great relationships. And But I was really glad that I did do that. But it was a tough process to go through. Yeah. If you could look back and and define a significant secret to the growth that you've had, the success that you've had, uh, what what would be a secret? Oh, a secret. Um, or maybe not so much a secret, yeah. but if, if you were to go back yep. and say, this this was a reason I feel like we've done as well as we have, and it's all relative, I realize that, but... Uh, often there's things that if you were to give advice to somebody else, you'd give it from your own perspective and say, this is a, a, a significant key to your success. What, what right. would that be in your case? Yeah, yeah, because I think the secret is, is, is there probably isn't a secret. It's a yeah. lot of things that sometimes the obvious answers are kind of out there. It's the application of them that gets to be tough in the day-to-day. I, I, I would think one of the biggest things, because it's one of the things I'm most thankful for today, is it, is it truly is the team that you have around you, that you've encircled yourself with, the people. Hmm. Um, a, a question I was asked one time is, you know, what do you look for when you're hiring someone? And I think you have to hire the intangibles, you know, the integrity, initiative, responsibility, things like that. Um, you know, having team members around you, I feel like I've got some outstanding ones. Hmm. Um, and, you know, folks that, you know, will hopefully take on an ownership mentality with you. Yeah. Uh, I think they make all the difference, and they yeah. really have for us. And I've got clients that would testify that they've written some awesome emails and stuff to me and even called me up and, and told me about experiences they've had with our team. And, and that even actually includes, I would say, a lot of our short-term team members hmm. that, that we've had here that are college students and things that help us with a lot of these initial projects that right. you know are notorious in our industry for being huge and taking months to do sometimes. We, we tried doing temp labor, which is pretty popular as well in the industry, and then I kind of moved away from that and started working with, with students primarily and it ended up kind of getting just placed in with a great group of folks. And that has been something that was 
I don't know if it's a secret, but it has worked tremendously well. And I look back now, we have had scores of team members now. I mean, they're physicians, lawyers, small really? business owners, pastors. It's so neat to see where all of them are today. Uh, and they were a huge part of our success. I mean, getting through all these projects, and they just, you know, excelled in them with flying colors. And so um, they, they, they were a huge part of where we're at. Wow. And, um, and then I, I would say two other things, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty big one, you know, for me. I look back, having started at 23, Tom, um, and sitting here trying to ask people to trust me at that age and probably definitely looking every bit of it, uh, it's just favor. Uh, I mean, it, it's been a blessing that we have grown the way we have, and, and, and I just think a lot of these people should not have said yes to us that did. <laughs> and so um, I, I just look back and think a lot of it is favor. And um, but, but we've been really careful about communication that whole time, and always trying to over-deliver on everything we do um, and, and, and never promising something I didn't feel like we could do. And I look back, I can't think of one significant time that we've ever had a situation where we over-promised and under-delivered. Hmm. And um, I think that makes a huge difference. And yeah. that's hard to do sometimes. In sales, in sales you kind of you you almost want to over-promise sometimes. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Uh, I, I'm aware that business is always you know, to get to the next step, to reach the next level of success is constantly trying to figure out problems to be solved. Uh, I, I forget who said it, but, you know, running a business is figuring out problems every day and fixing them. The more you learn how to fix those and the more you can systematize things, the better things get. But if, if there was an area in your business you could throw some magic dust on and solve a major problem and fix it all, what what area might that be? <laughs> well, this should be a wishes question, Tom. You know, like, if you could have one wish, and I would ask for more wishes. Right, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of areas I'd like to throw. Oh, okay. So we, we got around. multiple dust um, areas. Okay, but if, but if I got if I got more general, though, where I'd say I'd want to sprinkle, it would be kind of like with a, maybe with a, an overall strategic growth plan, like a five-year plan. Hmm. So cause if, I, if I sprinkled dust, right, if I sprinkled dust on a five-year plan, that would mean that my next two or three hires would be perfect. Right. And that means we would flawlessly implement two more service lines probably. Right. And uh, and then my marketing would be perfect, right? Right. So, <laughs> so I would sprinkle it on the five-year strategic plan and then all those other and things. That, that means I'd get more bang for my buck. The residual effect. Yeah, the <laughs> residual effect is pretty, it's pretty potent yeah. on that. Okay, well, I like I'm that. I'm going to sprinkle it on the strategic plan, which needs its own dust itself, probably. <laughs> if you could go back to October of 2003, or maybe June when you were you were doing some touring and trying to figure out this business, but that when that decision came with your grandpa to say, yes, I'm going to get into the business, and yes, we're going to do this, if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice based on all you know now, what <laughs> major piece of advice would you give yourself? Oh, well, I was, I was meeting with somebody this morning, and I, and I told them, <laughs> um, I told them that it, it small businesses require a lot more money than I ever thought they did in the beginning. Mm, yeah, but but that probably won't be the advice I'd give. It's definitely something I didn't realize. I didn't realize how much it would continue to require to, or have invested back into it. Um, it uh, I, I would say the one thing would be to surround yourself with some solid people, uh, like an, uh, an advisory board mm. um, of folks who you can trust to be completely open with right. about your business. Yeah. Um, and they're going to seriously hold you accountable, you know, to goals or strategy, whatnot, whether that be a, a, an organization that offers that or a coach or, or some business peers, but, 
someone that you can be, you know, even painfully transparent when need be, I think I would definitely recommend folks to do that. Um, yeah. I've had that for maybe, two, I think it was a little over two years now. Sure wish I'd had it for all ten. Yeah. Well, the, the the huge value that comes with that is the ability to to learn lessons that uh, you don't have to make the mistakes on because somebody else has already figured it out, and and the the sense of having that camaraderie, but not sort of a peer camaraderie. It's it's in some cases it's that accountability structure that keeps pushing you forward to achieve things because you've told somebody. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. My C twelve group that I meet with every month. I mean, like you said, it's. They're there to encourage you, but, I mean, they are there to literally, you know, challenge you uh, yeah. and certainly hold you accountable on things that you're saying you're going to do month to month because those are even things that we itemize out. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, you just you need someone that's going to hold your feet to the fire because if, if you're a CEO of that position or a business owner, it's unlikely a lot of your team members are going to be the ones doing that for you. Yeah. So. Wow, very cool. It's a, a wonderful story, and uh, I I mentioned earlier that in the introduction that, you won some award for being one of the top entrepreneurs under 30 and you've, you've done some really cool stuff. You're now sitting on the board of prism, uh, exerting your influence on the industry now. And, uh, Chad, I have watched you for, for the last nine years. I've had the luxury and privilege of watching what's happened in your business. And I, I'm blown away by your success. It's very cool to watch. Um, and uh, you're you're someone definitely to uh, to watch in terms of where it's all going because I, I think you got great days ahead as well. Well, it's kind of words, Tom. I appreciate that. Hey, I've got a, a personal question. I always like to end the show with a personal question, and and, and the the question is maybe one that that uh, people might not uh, respond to if they're not from uh, your neck of the woods, but. The, the question really becomes this. If you had to choose only one barbecue joint to go to in all of the world, where would you go? You had one <laughs> last meal and you wanted barbecue. Where would you go? Oh, wow. That's an easy one. I'll have to give a shout out to, uh, to Ridgewood Barbecue, of course, then our back door. Um, I was promoting it earlier today, so why not continue to do so? They definitely uh, have some of the best barbecue so if anyone goes to Piney Flats, um, don't blink because you might miss Chad's building. Well, it is, I think, the largest building in Piney Flats. But uh, then also encourage Chad to take you to Ridgewood Barbecue. No doubt. Chad, it's been great chatting, man. It's uh, great to hear your story. It's great to uh, to share your story because I think it's a, a fabulous one. And I uh, really appreciate you spending the time today on the show. Hey, I loved it. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, 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 thanks for joining us on the show this week. Special thanks to Chad Sorrell. If you're doing something interesting in your business, let me know. I'd love to have you on the show. I, I just love Chad's story. What a way to go. Um, kicking a business into high gear right from 23 years old is a wonderful story. Uh, and I'm so glad that he shared it with us this morning. I'd like to remind you that on this show, we have the luxury of having a sponsor that helps us to make this live every week. Uh, uh, O'Neill Software is a great company. What I know about them is the staff at O'Neill are committed to your ongoing success. The sales team, the management team, technical support staff, customer service people, the research and development team, they're all working to support your ongoing RIM service business and the needs that you have, not just today, but going forward in the future. And if you're interested, you can learn more about them at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for now. We'll be back next week with more great interviews. We are out of here. 
Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.